Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Evening, everybody, from a very wet, windy Paris. We're delighted to be hosted for this podcast special in the O Metro Bar by Pasteur, our good friend of the Telegraph Rugby podcast, Jean Pierre. As we look ahead to South Africa against England on Saturday night, uh, delighted to be joined by Charlie Morgan. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Colsey. Also here with Charles Richardson. Hi, Colsey. And a special guest, the uh, chief sports writer of the Daily Telegraph, Ollie Brown. Hi, Ollie. Hi, Ben. Ollie, how do you feel about England going into this week? It's quite an in- interesting vibe around around the team. You were there at the press conference earlier. What did you, what did you make of them? I don't feel especially confident. Uh, I always feel there's a slight air of joylessness around England. But C. Borthwick wasn't wasn't giving a huge amount away. But he see, he seemed to think that there were ways in which they could trouble. South Africa. He seemed very effusive about Freddie Stewart and his composure under the high ball. And we've we've seen England defy expectation before. Obviously, we we think of four years ago, and and 2019 seems to be the subject that England are, are prohibited from speaking about at all because obviously rugby moves on a lot in four years. But they confounded every assumption against the All Blacks then, and they seem to believe that they can do the same again as the only unbeaten team. If sitting on the fence, Ollie, tell us what you really think. An air of joylessness ahead of a World Cup semi-final. I was going to say that's quite a strong, strong way in, and I, I like it, actually. Well, I'm just thinking about Eddie Jones four years ago, a psychological masterclass out in uh, Tokyo. He was accusing the Kiwi journalists of being fans with laptops. He was... He even detonated a spying row while he was out there. Oh. Pressure was chasing the All Blacks down the street as well, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure Steve Borthwick operates from quite the same playbook. Um, uh, a kind of fairly faceless high-performance centre outside the peripherique didn't quite seem like the same uh, same setting. But we are two days out from a World Cup semi-final. There's, there's no... Uh, um, there's, there's no downplaying that. And, and for all the uh, inscrutability of Borthwick, uh, this is a test of colossal magnitude and, and England seem to think that they have some tricks up their sleeve. We're certainly going to find out very soon if they do. Uh, lots to dissect on the match in terms of 
team selections. But but Charles, I just want to come to you for a bit of a taste of, of what it's been like in Paris the last few days since I arrived Wednesday. You've been here a week and I, I arrived Wednesday morning and there's been um, a steady stream of, of rain ever since. And, and that feels to actually reflect the mood in the country after, after Sunday's defeat to South Africa. And how does everyone seem to be coping with that? Well, you chat to the French public here, you chat to the prisons, you chat to the, the host of the bar here in which we're in and which we're recording, and it's just still that complete sort of disappointment and they can't believe it. You know, they still can't believe that, they're, that the stars had aligned. They believed for them to be crowned World Cup champions. They have the best player in the world, the best league in the world, the best youth setup in the world. They thought they had the best team in the world and then they were stung by the reigning champions on Sunday night in Paris. And really, we could have been building up to Le Crunch. We've said this, we could have been building up to a massive England v France semi-final and the, the, the restaurant, the Brasserie, in which we're now as good as it is, is, is sort of half full. Um, and we were debating earlier, weren't we, about, you know, if it had been Le Crunch on, on Saturday night, how much, how, much, how much more bouncy and jumping this place would be. Um, and, and the city, the rain hasn't helped, um, but the city is flatter. The city is flatter and the tournament is worse off for it. Charlie, you are minutes off the Eurostar and out of a taxi. So you, so you're, you're the latest person who's, who's had boots on the ground in England. What's the, what's the mood like? It's a World Cup semi-final on uh, on Saturday. It's, it's a few, um, few rungs up from joyless for sure. But it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. It's, I would say, I would say subdued. I think England, England have been desperate to go under the radar, haven't they? This whole tournament, and they've managed to do that. It's kind of a tournament where all four semi-finalists are quite pleased with themselves for sort of arriving at this stage under the radar. I think that might change over the next 48 hours, 72 hours. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated as to what Oli what mentions there, that how England go about troubling this, this South Africa side, because that's where they've got to start. And as much as Steve Borswick isn't Eddie Jones in, in some ways, he's not the same showman. He, he probably doesn't have the media kind of um, on tentacles as to what he's going to say next. But what he does what he does do is he tailors selections to big games. He's done that again, which we'll get into. And he is very, very, very good at tailoring tactics also to big games. And that's that's what he's that's what we're about to about to see on Saturday. This isn't our first episode of the week, as you'll know. We we sort of recapped what happened with those two epic quarterfinals last weekend and had a long chat about New Zealand, Argentina as well. But we are just going to focus in this special on on Saturday night, how England can beat South Africa. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Charles, just to kick off, if I come to you. So so we've had the teams are announced. South Africa are unchanged. England have made three changes. Um, one, one at fullback, which we kind of expected, given the, the news around Marcus Smith and his concussion. Two in the pack, and I, and I know that one in particular has, has got us excited. Tell us about Joe Marlowe and him coming in at Luso Prop. Well, on on Monday, I was given the slightly unenviable task of writing a piece about how how England could possibly scale this mountain, how they could defeat the Springboks against all odds. And one of the well, two of the things that I said were that Freddie Stewart had to come back, which he has done, and that Joe Marler had to start. It was only this morning, really, that we found out that Marler was in the mix to start at Loose Head. He had he had to come back in to give he's he's the best scrummager in that squad. 
Um, and we know that that is an area of real, real strength, of world-class strength for South Africa. Um, in terms of the South Africa team selection, I've been following them all this week. And just on what Charlie said about horses, Steve Forthwick tailoring selections for specific opponents and horses for courses, ironically, this week, South Africa have not done that. The great strategists, the great tacticians this week have decided to go completely unchanged um, because they felt that the, the, the starting 15 and the, and, and, the, and the bench, the bomb squad, as they call them, is, is completely is settled and after such a strong performance against France. I wonder if that's an error. I wonder if that's them, uh, you know, an air of complacency creeping in, especially with, um, you know, especially with the, the, the certain selection quandaries that they had, and especially the fact that they, they, rarely, they rarely keep the same starting 15 um, for two games. I think this is the second time in 64 te tests under Razi Rasmus and Jacques Nienaba that they've named an unchanged side. So it was, it was, a, it was a surprise when I, when I rocked up at the, at the team announcement this morning to find an unchanged side. And, and I did wonder whether, have they believed their own hype too early almost? I'm, I'm not saying that they have. They're obviously still rank favourites. But, uh, you know, there, there is always that sort of thought in the back of the mind because it's it's an 18-minute rugby match against with two very good teams. So, it, it, you know, South Africa are favourites, but stranger things have happened. Just on those South Africa press conferences, uh, for a bit of colour, have they basically been in like a village hall or the equivalent of quite a, quite a low-key setting? But they've basically been in a village hall, red velvet trim, red velvet curtains and... and, and um, Seating. There was some jazz music playing on Tuesday as Razi Erasmus, Razi Erasmus emerged stage right um, to un as the pantomime villain to unveil what he thought would be England's starting fifteen. I mean, it was a great piece of sporting theatre, really, and sporting psychology. But it, it um, yeah, the, the the sort of the it, it jars, it jars, and it, it doesn't, it does sort of doesn't juxtapose very well. No, it does juxtapose very well with the surroundings, which is in a, a nothing suburb of of the wider Paris region. It's very quiet and very residential. And then you have Razi Erasmus strolling in on, on Tuesday afternoon, uh, giving it big licks. Ollie and I, meanwhile, today were at the um, Institut de Sport or whatever the full title is, which I've just butchered outside France. We, we're just going to hear a bit of audio from Steve Wolf. We're just talking about how he sort of views the game and, and England's status as underdogs for this match. We concentrate very much upon us. It's what we've done every single week. How do we develop and how do we progress as a team? And I think that's the central thing. I think this team has progressed um, through each each week we've had through this tournament. We've built and we've built and we've built. And whatever situation the players have found themselves in in the game, is a, the players have found a way to get the result they want at the end of it. And we know this weekend is, going to be, is, is different. Every game is different. But... I also know we've got a great group of players who care deeply about representing England. I want to make sure they put in a, a performance they're all proud of and our supporters are proud of on Saturday night. That was Steve Borth setting the table. Ollie, that underdog's tag, I, I get the impression England will actually not mind one bit. I think Charlie actually said earlier early in the week that South Africa are about 13-point favourites or something. So, so being, being that far out of it, that suits England down to a tee? Yeah, I, I detected a certain sourness in the in the press conference on on Sunday night with Steve Borthwick. It was uh, after a lot of cordiality with the journalists. He he almost started to to turn on us slightly. And basically, you you guys have written us all off. 
and we're in a semi-final so we've at the very least reached par for what everybody expected of us the one the one area where i think borthwick might spring a surprise is he he is incredibly meticulous by by reputation filling all those copious notebooks and i think uh, Eben Epsabeth said something earlier today that he, he hadn't actually watched any any England games. You can't really imagine that uh, that Borthwick would 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 allow such a such a casual preparation. I mean, may, maybe maybe this is more mind games from from the Springboks, but I think this this painstaking approach of Borthwick might might actually make the scoreline on Saturday night closer than a lot of people think. Absolutely, and and. The draw's been spoken about a hell of a lot, but that what that means is that it means it means, as Ollie said, England have reached par, but it means that they've also seen this coming for for a fairly long way. I think they were fairly sure that it'd be clearly there was a there was a range of opponents that they could have played, but they will have had plans for those those teams. I have a theory about how they're going to go about it, which is which is. They, they, we know from at the time they really studied how New Zealand went about beating South Africa in Auckland at the start of the Rugby Championship, and that was by kicking off 10 a lot. Um, I think Alex Mitchell retaining his place in the starting side is among the most interesting things about that lineup because he's made a few kicking errors. That could be a little way to lure South Africa into pressurising Mitchell when actually a lot of the kicking is going to come off Farrell and wider. Um, I think... Stewart's return plays into that because he's going to be used on the front foot as opposed to just in this defensive defensive mould. And I think that's where they go. I think they look to win that aerial battle and go from there. The the Stewart selection is quite interesting, isn't it? Because I, I wonder if if Smith had been available, whether they might have tried to bring Stewart back anyway on the wing just to add a bit more security to the to the back three under the kicking game in particular. Because we saw we saw France get targeted in that area, didn't we? On Sunday, with what with what South Africa were doing with those crossfield kicks, and that was that had a big impact on the game. So I wonder if England would have gone for Stewart anyway. The, Mar- the Marlow one I love partly because the first thing it made me think of was Eddie Jones' book in in 2019, which came out what about 10 days after the final or 12 days. It was fr- fresh off the printing presses, um, where, and where he said, "Oh yeah, I should have picked Joe Marlow to start in the final against South Africa." And you look at the South Africa pack, and actually, apart from Beast and um, Ludiago not being there, it's the same same set of players, same same tight head brother, Francois Herbert. Is it wild to say that he might have been thinking of the the danger of having Cole on the bench in case there was another early injury like there was in the 2019 final? Because that really exposed Dan Carr, having to go 75 minutes against effectively two elite, elite packs. And that is not the case. With with Sinclair and Genge, you've probably got two guys more suited to going that distance. And we've we've floated the idea, and we were sort of joking, weren't we, before that. Imagine, imagine if they do it the other way around. They take a leaf out of South Africa's book, ironically, and go half an hour for the starting block. Well, yeah, or the, or the Italy book, when they when they were actively start. Obviously, with South Africa, the, the, the margin between their starting and second choice is, is so small. But with Italy, where they were starting their sort of genuine second choice front row letting them play the first half an hour of the game when it's a little bit tighter and they're a little bit fresher and bringing the first choice on for the last 50 uh, and it actually didn't it wasn't a disaster for them you wouldn't say and yeah we've said that maybe they might do that with Cole uh, once they might do that this weekend Cole might play 30 minutes and then Sinclair comes up 10 minutes before half time and, and plays the whole of the second half and, and, and realistically he's 
I mean, he's up there with one of the best bench tight heads in the tournament. There aren't going to be many teams with a better second choice tight head than Carl Sinclair. Should mention the second row selection as well with, with George Martin over Ollie Chesham. So, so both of said a couple of things. Uh, one of them was that he'd sort of been looking at conditioning with the six day turnaround and assessing the general sort of fitness of the squad. And he thought that having having Martin come in to start made sense. Martin and Chesham are actually the exact same weight, which I find quite interesting. They're both 118 kilograms, which I think is about 18 and a half stone in, in old money. Um, but what he said was that Martin had sort of had more positive feedback from the England front row about what he offers in the scrum, i.e. he gives them quite a lot of heft and power behind in the scrum. And I think it was Joe Marler in particular who'd given that feedback and said, naturally, we appreciate having someone behind us in the second round who's giving us a lot of shove. Two big Midlands lumps, but they do play the game very differently. Chesham is more of a sort of second row who could be a six. He's a very similar player, really, to a Itoje and Laws. And actually, one criticism of England so far in this tournament, perhaps, is that Itoje, Chesham and Laws are all too similar to all feature in the same pack. Martin comes in, he might weigh the same, but he doesn't play the same way. He's a, he's a more sort of traditional enforcer, tight second row. He can play six, of course, but in the same way that all the best players have a, have a little bit of versatility to them. I mean, Martin, it's going to be chop, scrum, chop, scrum, chop, scrum. Whereas that necessarily hasn't been Chesham's remit. He's been sort of given a bit more license to roam in the loose. You remember that try against Samoa where he's tramlining Tom Croft style down the flank. Don't expect that from George Martin. His work will be in the tight, in the thick of it, trying to get into this fantastic Springbok pack at the heart of which is obviously Evan Etzbeth and, um, and, and Franco Moster in the second row. Yeah, and, and it's been the World Cup, hasn't it, of, of big sort of forwards roaming out on the wings, trying to affect things later on. We saw Ireland trying to do that against New Zealand on Saturday, didn't they, with Jack Cohen and, and Ty Byrne sort of out on the wings, looking to be creating mismatches. Chesham could potentially do that quite well. Um, just, just to very quickly wrap up on on England just a quick fire one around the table is there is there a selection that you don't like at all or, or a player who you might have thought about differently Charles we come to you first yeah I think I'd have gone Ford Farrell I'd have gone Ford Farrell with 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 no Smith at 15 and with Stewart coming back in I'd have gone Ford Farrell for a little bit the, the extra playmaking and also for a uh, more varied kicking game and also for two players who can kick drop goals and it might come down to that. Um, and to keep that scoreboard ticking like they did against Argentina, I'd have gone Ford Farrell. Charlie, anything for you? Uh, nine just really interests me. I think Alex Mitchell needs to just be as accurate as he, as he possibly can. And Ollie, any, any selections you might have tweaked if you look at that side? Yeah, the, the marginalising of George Ford mystifies me somewhat, having been there for that first game where he was obviously instrumental. And I, I really don't understand um, Steve Borthwick when he when he corrected a reporter the other week for suggesting he'd been dropped to the bench and was saying, "Well, he's actually just changed his role for the bench." I mean, you can't you can't really imagine George Ford ringing his dad with great enthusiasm, saying, "You know, I've just changed my role to the bench." Um, I'm not. I don't really like the, the fact that Ford has been shoved to the periphery so much to make way for for Farrell, as 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 accomplished as Farrell is. Changed his role, I think, is an Eddieism, which which has sort of been left over. Um, I'm I'm not mad about the lack of pace on the wings compared to Colby and Curly Aronson in terms of how England can get turned in that area. But that's a good segue, actually, into chatting more now about South Africa, their selection, and why they're just massive favourites and they're going to win this comfortably, right? 
right the Springboks and Unchained side, Charles has been hanging around their camp all week, hearing a, a lot from Razzy Erasmus, actually. He was up on Monday and Tuesday. Monday via Zoom and then Tuesday in person. And then tomorrow, potentially tomorrow, maybe they'll probably have an assistant coach tomorrow. Maybe Dan Human. We've not heard too much from him. And then it was Jacques Nianaba this morning with with the team announcement. And yeah, well, we've already gone over the the the, the sort of pantomime uh, vaudeville aspect of his uh, press conference on on Tuesday. It really was something to behold. We've got a bit of audio now from Jacques Nianaba just talking about. Talking about the physical toll on his squad and, and, and sort of sticking with that same selection and, and looking ahead to England. So here's, here's the Safka head coach. If you talk about physicality, I think that Tonga game was probably one of the most physical games that, that our players told us they played in. Uh, so, so I think, uh, so in terms of a physicality point of view, the one group got nicely exposed to it against uh, uh, Ireland. And then the following week, the other group or the other part of our squad got exposure to it in the in the Tonga game, um, and so physicality is like any any conditioning component. You have to you have to get used to it. You have to condition yourself for it. So um, I think in that from that point of view, uh, it put us up nicely for for the game against France. And obviously the French game was was physical. Uh, but like I said, listen, it wasn't, uh, we, we went out, you know, our policy in terms of training. If you can't train on Monday, you can't play. So everybody was, was good and ready and they could train. So there wasn't any medical issues. So from a physical point of view, we got a nice stimulus from a physical point of view uh, um, uh, against France. And, and we will... That exposure, we'll need that experience going into England because I think it will be the same like Sia mentioned now. Uh, if you look at their performances and their build-up during this competition, uh, they 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 improving every single game. They're getting better. Um, and then where do I think they're going to challenge us? Um, yeah, like any team, I think, uh, like I've mentioned last time uh, with, with the French team, they've got... Uh, they, they got a unique kicking game that they employ. The same with um, with um, with the English team. I think they're a team that's comfortable not playing with the ball. I think if you look at them, I think they're the team that kick the most, um, and they like to suffocate and strangle you, kick the ball in your half, and wait for you to make apply pressure there and wait for you to make a mistake. So. We, from a tactical point of view, we know what's coming our way and we must just make sure that we execute on the day. What do you think is the strongest um, part of this African team, either, either from a tactical point of view or, or in terms of a positional group? Where, where do you think they are just head and shoulders above the rest? Charlie, if I come to you. It's a big, it's a big compliment because England have strength there as well, but even Atzabeth has just, has, has just gone from strength to strength and he was just awesome. Um, in that, in what was a monumental quarterfinal, but everywhere really, um, the pace out. Well, you mentioned the pace out right. Why with Colby and Arenza, they're just so dangerous in transition, as they showed against France. Um, someone like Jesse Creel would potentially be seen as a little bit of a weak link, maybe in years gone by. He isn't. He's he's been really assured this tournament. Um, likewise, Libok, um, and with that with that um, contingency on the bench in in Pollard. That's a really interesting one. How they've ordered their halfbacks is really interesting um, because Fata Clerk brought so much energy from the bench, didn't he? It's cliche and it's a bit boring, but I'll go with the bench. I'll go with the bench and, the, and the, not necessarily the bomb squad, but just 
the bench and the depth that this South Africa squad has and the ability for them to be able to pivot into any strategy and any tactic that they want to play and to adapt to the circumstances of each game with their eight replacements and how versatile it all is and how harmonious it all is. It, it, in terms of depth and in terms of 23, they have the best 23 in the tournament. And I think most people would have said that from the start. It's just that I think most people thought that uh, other teams' starting 15s were better. And then we didn't potentially realise how much of an impact that 23, that whole aspect, would have. Well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm now coming to you third on this. And they've chosen Elizabeth at the bench. But, but what sticks out for you? What, what, what impresses you about the South Africa side? Not just in rugby, but in sport, I guess, as well. I think collectively the, the, the Springboks class of 2023 ominously for England seems even more complete than the class of 2019 and I totally agree with Charlie about the point out wide I mean that that, that was what most struck me about the the, the win over France I mean the Col, Colby and Renzi just just both both awesome and the way that Colby head clear I think of, of um, I know is not exactly sluggish the way he he just hairs clear. I mean, I think he's a, what is he, a 10.700 metre runner in his youth. And it's, it's just it's just a sight to behold. And it just shows that they're far from one dimensional. Right, Jens, to finish off, England against South Africa on Saturday night for a place in the Rugby World Cup final. Let's do a quick round of predictions. Charlie, you're closest to me in this lovely restaurant that we're in. So I'm going to come to you first. Who's winning? Nobody's going to go. I feel like nobody's going to go England, so should maybe balance it out. But I still think a lot closer than a lot closer than the bookies have it. But South Africa by three. Sod it! I'll go England. I'll go England. I'll go England by three. It'll be it'll be it'll be tight no matter what. I think they've got a chance. I think the 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 emotional toll could be a lot for the Springboks to back up from last weekend. There's an element of surprise and, and the unknown with Borthwick's England. Um, stranger things have happened. It's 80 minutes of knockout rugby. Let's go. Someone's got to go England. I'll go England by three. I'm going to go South Africa by nine, which <laughs> I have seen predictions earlier this week that South Africa by 35 or 40. But one one dimension is, is that, that they have a player such as Maro Itoji who is... Who, who seems unbothered by the aura of opposition, as he showed um, four years ago. And uh, when we spoke to him, Ben, earlier on, he seemed particularly focused. And he said how everything about this week in terms of the atmosphere seemed very heightened. You know, that they, there was a very clear awareness of what they needed to do in, this, in the same way as, the, as there was in, uh, in 2019. And I think with, with, with him at the helm, England at least have a shot at making it close, but I don't think they have a shot at victory. No, Ollie, I think that's right. I think if, if Marrow had been um, quite het up and emotional, then I'd have been more concerned. But the fact that he seemed quite focused and relaxed um, was definitely interesting. It, it, South Africa are definitely going to win. But I do find it interesting how, uh, if you'd asked me in the middle of France-Africa last Sunday, I'd have said that France or South Africa would have beaten this England side by about 30, 40 points. The World Cups are weird. Uh, Part of me now would not be shocked, but I just feel like if, if we're going if, if we're going to get a true reflection of the quality of the two sides and how much further ahead in their development South Africa are than England, it's going to be in the final score. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm almost I'm almost certain South Africa will win. 
but we'll find out very, very, very soon. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for following all the coverage. Plenty on the website. We'll debrief next week and find out who's in the final. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 